Hello, everyone. Welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. My name is Alexis Clark, and I am joined today by Steve Sanye. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that talks about major issues in public health and how they are relevant to anyone, both in and out of the field of public health. Today, we're delighted to talk with Redwin bin Abdul Batten, a third-year PhD student at the College of Public Health, where he also serves as the Health and Safety Chair of the Graduate and Professional Student Government. We are also joined today by Rachel Maller, a graduate student in the Department of Sociology, where she also serves as the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Chair for the Graduate and Professional Student Government. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks. So Redwan and Rachel, what's your background prior to coming to the University of Iowa? How did you guys both get introduced to the field of public health and sociology, respectively? Uh, Redwan, if you want to start us off. Sure, sure. Uh, thank you for having us today. So my background, briefly, uh, I'm a dentist. My training was back in Bangladesh. And after, my, after dental school, I w- worked for the government for three years, in, mostly serving in very, very rural areas, Bangladesh. And of course, uh, we have several problems in uh, that country. We have resource constraints. We have so many other problems. So that kind of led me towards public health, more specifically uh, health policy, uh, issues. I did my MPH uh, there and, you know, applied to several schools that were focusing on public health and, of course, rural health. And University of Iowa being one of the hubs of rural health I mean, globally, I mean, not many institutions are working on rural health. Uh, and uh, more specifically, our department, the health management and policy department uh, housed within the College of Public Health that focuses a lot on rural health. So that kind of led me to where I am today. And Rachel, how about yourself? Yeah. All right. So I'm originally from West Des Moines, Iowa, and I came here for undergrad. And while an undergrad, it wasn't the most easiest um, journey, we'll say. I struggled a bit with some mental health challenges. So I ended up having to like leave a couple times to deal with that, but I ended up coming back and choosing sociology as my major. My mom just encouraged me, hey, you know, just graduate college, do sociology. It's something you love. It's something you're good at. And so I'm like, okay, you're right. I went back into it and I'm like, no, you are right. Like, I love this stuff. This is exactly what I should have done the whole time. Um, my last year of undergrad, I was like, oh, I'm going to graduate. What do I do? So I found an internship. And I ended up getting connected with this woman named Dr. Sarah Brooke at the Public Policy Center. And she started this partnership with the Iowa City School District. It's a research practice partnership. So we do like school climate surveys and we basically try to leverage social science research to improve um, educational policy and decision making. So doing that work, I just like fell in love with research. I was like, this is what I want to do. It's a way I can apply like my skills and the things I'm passionate about to make a difference. So I'm like, okay, I want to go to grad school. And I never thought grad school was like an option before either. So I thought that was super cool. So I like applied to grad school here, got in, um, and I've just like loved it ever since. I've kept working with the Iowa City schools. I'm doing a lot of equity related stuff. Um, My main research interest is in educational inequity. So I look a lot about like social relationships within schools and how um, that's impacted by inequality and how that reproduces inequality. So things like student teacher relationships and bullying. And now I'm a research assistant at the Center for Evaluation and Assessment. And I'm also, you know, the DEI chair for GPSG. So it's been a bit of a journey to get to grad school, but it's been, it's been a good one. Yeah, it's great to hear that you guys both came from such different 
backgrounds and have so, such different interests that you're able to intertwine those and, you know, create something really cool with GPSG. So that kind of leads into our next question. What enticed you both to join this organization? Redwin, if you want to answer first, that'd be great. Well, I was at the beginning of the pandemic and everyone was going through a tough time, including myself. I was working as a TA and RA, both uh, roles that were during that time. And I was just seeing how students were freaking out during that time, during that transition towards, you know, full online and safety measures on campus. Everyone was so confused and we were getting mixed responses from uh, some of the safety measures uh, being implemented uh, both on campus and off campus. So, I mean, it was a confusing time overall. And so that kind of led me towards, you know, applying for GPSG because I thought I could bring in some public health experience, uh, bring in some research skills into, you know, serving during that time during that troubled time. I also was doing some research on student health uh, during that time, just looking at uh, some health outcomes of the student population across the United States, uh, mostly because in our department, we do like secondary data analysis. So we use like large available nationally available data sets. And so I was kind of, I already had done some research on uh, mental health and, and physical health for student for the student population, looking at them by like undergraduate population, graduate population, and some of the differences that are there. Uh, also some health uh, differences between like international students and domestic students. So I, I was kind of like doing that as kind of like a side project as a personal hobby sort of like thing. But then the pandemic happened and GPSC, uh, you know, sort of advertised for that they needed a health and safety chair. And I said, oh, I'm interested in serving. And I'm also interested in turning research or evidence-based research into policy actions, actionable items. So that's kind of always been something that I was interested in to learn more deeply and I was, uh, uh, you know, taking many courses on health policy and stuff, but I, this was an opportunity for me to, to actually exercise those, uh, you know, uh, things that I learned in class. So I thought, okay, let's do this. And also it was in the back of my mind that, okay, this pandemic is going to be really difficult and I'm going to be locked up in my house uh, for such a long time. I need something to get to keep myself going. So this was kind of like, I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive because I have actually applied more pressure on myself by signing up for GPSG and I was working with other organizations as well, but it kind of helped me fill my schedule. Uh, otherwise I would have, I don't know what I would have been doing uh, during that time. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Rachel, what about you? Yeah, no, I did not foresee that I was gonna be stuck at home for a year <laughs> um, when I signed up for the position, but it's okay, it all worked out. Um, what got me interested in GPSG was like the opportunity, just the opportunity to be like a student leader and be close to where decision-making happens. I think due to my experience as an undergrad where I was just like not that at all, I felt like very much like an outsider, like I didn't belong um, and things like that to come back and kind of be like in the, these rooms and like have this kind of like power and influence and like in a positive way, you know, on campus and be able to contribute and make a difference and make it a better place, which is like what I wanted as an undergrad. Like it was just like kind of not really like a dream, but like very like cathartic to be able to come back and like do like a position like this. And then also a lot of the work I do, similar to Red Wand is like doing evidence-based practices research and translating that into 
policymaking and decision-making and practice. So this um, position also gave me the opportunity to do a lot of equity like work using um, data and surveys and using that to inform um, the things that we do moving forward. So it's all in line with a lot of like the professional work I do, which I love doing in a higher education setting has been very interesting, especially during this year. Oh my Lord, like very interesting um, and challenging, but rewarding. And then also personally, it was kind of like a goal and something that I like to do. And plus I'm a pretty social person. And so it just gives you like a bunch of automatic friends and people to connect with. So that was cool too. Those are all really good benefits. I, I love the thing of, you know, I think a lot of folks have that in undergrad where you feel removed from the decision-making process as a whole. And then coming into graduate school, it's a little bit more of a, a small fish in a small pond situation where you can make a splash. That's excellent that both of you were both uh, involved in this program as a whole. And the crux of the issue I think that we're talking about today is this COVID-19 graduate and professional student government survey report that you guys have both been working on. Can you explain a bit to our audience what this report was about? What was it like conducting this report during a pandemic? Kind of give us a little bit more insight into that one. I mean, again, it was beginning of last summer and we were going through the pandemic. And I mean, of course, this is an unprecedented situation. Nobody has ever faced this kind of situation before. So there was a huge lack of data, huge lack of surveys. and we kind of were thinking about, okay, this is uh, not really good because without data, without evidence, you can't really make good decisions. And some of the decisions that were coming from the uh, university administration or the uh, off-campus, we it, it was kind of confusing because some people uh, were really okay with those kind of decisions and others were not. Others were really, you know, uh, worried about their safety and, and health situations. So we were kind of like, okay, we need to fill up this gap of, of, you know, the lack of data and evidence. So that was kind of one more motivation. And also uh, uh, several other things were happening at the same time. Last summer, it was the international students had some difficulties because of some federal regulations that were, you know, not kind of cool. And then uh, just a few weeks later, uh, racial justice issues were really, really happening all across the United States. So that was also on our radar that, okay, uh, this is also happening. Then also other things started happening, political unrest, and then, you know, some other issues also came up. So all of these things were happening simultaneously. And of course, all of this happening uh, under the broader umbrella of the COVID pandemic. So we had this idea that, okay, all of this is impacting our students. All of this is impacting us. So we need to capture this in a survey. I mean, it was intuitively that all of these are impacting mental health and uh, all of these are impacting students in different ways, but we need the evidence. We need to know uh, how they're doing. And as as a GPSG, as representatives of the graduate and professional students, uh, we felt it a responsibility that we need to listen to our uh, the people that we are representing and, and see what they're doing and what their issues are. And also, uh, the, we wanted to see how the students felt about the university's response to the COVID pandemic. And so we had some of those questions uh, in the survey as well. So all, all, all of these issues, I, I would say, that contributed towards that uh, conducting that survey. Yeah, um, just to add on, it's sometimes difficult in student government to hear from your constituents all the time, like get that kind of feedback that you ideally would like on what should happen. Like you can reach out, talk to students or students can email you, but that doesn't happen a whole lot with um, GPSG. 
So the survey was a way for us to kind of gauge like the pulse of where everybody's at um, and kind of have that to be able to take that back to administrators and advocate for certain things and say, hey, well, like this is saying people's mental health sucks. So like help and things like that and help guide us a little bit better as well. We thought the survey would be a great opportunity to get that data for everybody to make some, some moves. You mentioned mental health just now. What were the key findings you guys found when researching what the student's pulse was during, during this time? It's bad. Yeah. I mean, it's not completely unexpected. I think we all kind of knew this and as grad students, we can feel it too, to, to some degree. Um, we found that COVID like severely impacted students' mental health. We asked like, how much did it impact your mental health? I think like 89% of students said that it was negatively impacted by COVID. We gauged just kind of like how they were doing, just like, how is your mental health? And only 46% of people said it was good, very good or excellent, which means that like half of people are not having positive mental health at all. Um, And then we also ask what like services do you need? And 70% of students said they want more mental health services. So that's just speaking to the, this basically how like severe it is, um, how prevalent it is among students and how impactful it can be um, to be struggling with that and that they feel like they need to have more kind of help and support than is currently being provided by the university or other organizations. So those were some key findings around mental health. Super concerning and sad. Um, Not completely unsurprising, but definitely shows you that there's a lot of work to be done in this area. So with that being said, I know for me personally, coming in as to grad school during COVID, I don't know if some of my mental health or my friend's mental health disservices were due to COVID or just due to the pressure of grad school and it's, it's not for everyone. So how do you guys take grad school being just a difficult beast in itself and with that data due to COVID, how do you guys gauge that? Okay. Well, I mean, like, yeah, that, I've questioned that too. It's on my own. Like how much of this is this COVID stress and grad stress, but I think the intersection of that makes it like, like even more. Um, we also ask like how stressed you feel from certain things. And we combined like sometimes very often or, or often, and it was like 92% are stressed by their workload. 89% are stressed by this. So everyone is very stressed out and I feel that sometimes too. And I think that being in grad school during the COVID pandemic, especially going in your first year, I think about that too, first years in my program, how you don't get those same like connections, opportunities just to hang around the department, talk to people, go to happy hour, do whatever you want. Um, It takes away a lot of these, like what we call like weak ties, you know, like colleagues and things I think it makes it like, I think it's especially hard for first years for graduating students. It sucks too. We have some graduating law students in our government and that sucks for them to kind of just have your last year be like, yeah, just go on now. So I think the intersection of being in grad school, it's already a super stressful situation. It's a lot of pressure on yourself to like work, 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 produce, produce, get to the next step. But when there's so much stress going on politically um, with COVID, with racial justice, it's like, it's a lot. And you're like stuck in your room for some, for some people. It's a lot to kind of like comprehend all the stuff going on, but yet you're like alone. So it's weird. Those are some of my thoughts on it. Yeah, those are all great thoughts. And I would just like to add a little bit. I, I am going to sound a little bit like a nerd while answering this. I mean, I mean, methodologically, there are ways to 
you know, tease out these effects, like, uh, you know, the effects of graduate school, the effects of COVID, effects of racial injustice, and, and you know, all of these things. I mean, there are ways to uh, get these things out, but we need uh, a large data sets. We need continued, uh, like repeated data sets uh, that will help us uh, pool a lot of uh, data together to kind of do that kind of work. Uh, my concern is that nobody's really doing that as far as I, I know, uh, you know, making that effort, getting some funding for these kind of projects because it will require like a lot of uh, data to do this. But there are certainly ways to do that. Uh, my only concern is there needs to be more efforts in this arena um, to, to get a more deeper understanding of what went, uh, what happened during this pandemic. With the qualitative analysis side of things, Redwan, you know, one thing that stuck out to me, and you can appreciate this as a, a TA and an RA, is the challenges with teaching responsibilities and lack of academic accommodations, right? During the entirety of the pandemic, several universities, including ours, has, you know, taken a more difficult approach when it comes to converting classes to an online measure. You've got um, some qualitative findings from this survey saying things like, I hope classes go 100% online. In the spring, as a TA, I feel really unsafe teaching undergrads in an airborne viral pandemic. Mm-hmm. When you reflect on your experiences as a TA and, and Rachel to yourself too, being part of public health and sociology departments that are supposed to be championing the response to COVID-19 and protecting your students and you're seeing responses like these, what kind of emotions does that invoke as a, as a student and as a professional too? during that time i was working as a ta i also worked as a ta last fall as well and so uh, the safety of my students and safety of myself i mean those were of course top priority and everyone even if i went to class uh, for some reason uh, that was unavoidable i had to go but i was uh, always worried about uh, myself i was worried about my students i was worried about my family back home that if, if i uh, you know, get this virus, it's just not me, it's my family as well. So, I mean, a lot of things were happening. And as I said, they, I mean, governance is tough. Governing is not easy. The The response that the university made, a lot of it was very good, but a lot of it was not uh, up to the mark. I mean, there were better examples, uh, even in Iowa, in other universities on Iowa. So I would say, I mean, and this is reflected in the students' uh, evaluation of how the university uh, you know, responded to uh, the pandemic. It was kind of mixed that, you know, students uh, had mixed responses to the university's um, response to the overall pandemic. And I get it. This is uh, an unprecedented pandemic that that no one else has faced before. So I mean, you are going to make mistakes. But I mean, there should there could have been more efforts uh, into ensuring that okay, we have. I mean, to, I think yesterday I saw in the email that around a little more than three thousand students self-reported that they had contracted COVID. I mean, we could have avoided a lot of those. And these are just self-reported numbers. These are not, the, this is not the full picture. Uh, but we could have avoided like a lot of those uh, cases if we were uh, more careful, if we implemented tougher decisions, if we were, and if you don't need to be actually tough to be more safe, you can be more pragmatic is what I'm trying to say. And, and there were examples all over the US uh, how campuses dealt with this kind of situation, like uh, trace and uh, like testing students before admitting them into the dorms or stuff like that which could have been done, 
we, we had the infrastructure, we had the resources to do that. And we felt from the student government that we could do that. Our president McKenzie and Vice President Allen, they advocated very strongly uh, for these measures. Somehow their voices did not get heard at certain levels at certain points in time. Uh, that was kind of my experience uh, as well last year. Yeah, I think the frustrating part was just like the students voicing, students and workers, you know, grad workers voicing their concern and just like not being listened to. That was pretty hard for people. Um, I'm also in the union COGS that we have for um, RAs and TAs here on campus. And they were fighting hard in the beginning to say, please put, over, put like 100% online classes um, if able to do this. They were protesting out there to do it. It was like silence, you know, and even in GPSG, we advocated you know, as much as you can put things online, just all these, you know, COVID safety measures and whatnot. But the university, you know, kind of does what it does. So love shared governance. It's great, but it's difficult in times like this when um, it's really hard to kind of do what the students want, do what's good for like the university's stuff. And you have to balance so many priorities that sometimes the student kind of stuff gets pushed a little bit down but I know students were fighting hard you know to have stuff like wanting to be online so that was kind of I mean you, you don't want to see it it's sad to see but it's almost like inspiring that students were still out here fighting for like what they what they believe in the the report was published in March of 2021 and we we focus on the evidence-based policy practices and everything to that effect did did this report generate specific actions from it was it informative for folks what was kind of the 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 end result aside from surveying the students and having this general knowledge, which we need to continue to collect, were there end products that came about as a result of the survey? The university is currently in the process of planning for the next semester for summer, and they're planning to go full in-person classes. A lot of turnover in the university administration at the same time, we're, you know, searching for a new president. A lot of positions at the dean level are also uh, being filled right now. So it's kind of like a transition phase that the university is going through. And this report coming out, we have presented this report to the appropriate levels as best as we could. The people who actually work on health and safety issues across campus, uh, student wellness centers, and every every other uh, outlet that deals with student health issues, we have shared this report with them, and they ha- are t- currently looking at that. They're uh, incorporating these findings into their decision making. Of course, it'll take a little bit more time to see some a concrete product uh, based off of this report. General feedback is, this is very useful. Thank you for doing this. Uh, this is uh, really helpful. We don't have this kind of data. So looking back now that this survey has been published, what findings did you both find most personally surprising? Unfortunately, there is not a lot I found super surprising. Um, do, knowing, I mean, we've been, we kind of know what's happening a bit on the ground. And then we both do research kind of in areas around like, um, was going on. But the one that I was perhaps maybe surprised by was the stress from things like workload, the political climate, social isolation. And maybe that's more I felt validation from those findings, um, you know, figuring that, okay, everyone else is really stressed out too. Okay, that's not good, but it makes me feel a little more like validated that I'm not just, you know, going crazy here um, in my house. So that one, but it was still high, like 91%. Like that it's, it's, it was kind of sad to see everyone being that stressed out over things. Uh, I mean, as, as I mentioned before in the discussion that, you know, the university's response and how the students felt about that response, it's kind of mixed. 
So that was, seeing that kind of evidence uh, in front of me uh, was kind of like, okay, reassuring that, okay, I'm not the only one thinking, uh, <laughs> taking this in the wrong way or something like that. But uh, a lot of people uh, had mixed responses. And I think that th this will, I mean, if we look at break it down by graduate and undergraduate status, I mean, that would uh, also play into this, but that was kind of one of the things that uh, was striking for me. Another thing was, we tried to address some disparity issues, at least try to find some disparity issues uh, by breaking the results down by race and by gender. And of course, we had a small sample size for um, different racial groups, uh, non-white racial groups. But still, I mean, some in some of the categories, like all of the Black students reported that they had uh, certain problems which was concerning that even if the sample size is small, but 100% of them are saying that they have resource problems or they have, uh, they have been negatively impacted by uh, some issue. So that was kind of, I mean, striking for me that, okay, all of this, all, all members of this group are saying that they have this issue. And these are some of the things that we intended to uh, tease out. And of course we need to, the university needs to work more with these specific groups and to try to under, better understand what the issues are and how the university can help to resolve those uh, disparities. Talk about the, the challenging and rewarding aspects of this in-depth survey. You know, it's looking over the figures for it and you've got a relatively really good response rate of about 838 folks responding overall, which is fantastic since you've got that really diverse perspective set. When you're looking through and going through this process as a whole, what is, what is most challenging for it when you're going through it? And then what's most rewarding for you guys in creating this survey? We did this in a way that was uh, multidisciplinary. We had a multidisciplinary team in place to conduct the survey. I mean, we invited friends, of course. I mean, if we like advertised it in a formal way, that would have taken long, a longer time. So we kind of like uh, invited people that we knew had the statistical skills or that kind of training uh, to conduct surveys or who had, I mean, in graduate professional uh, student population, you have a certain advantage that uh, some students are, are really experienced. They have worked in the field uh, for a certain number of years and then they came back to get their PhD or something like that. So there were people like that in our team as well, like really mature people who had actually the experience to do this kind of work. And it was surprising that we have these resources and you know, nobody was asking us to do anything. I mean, we just felt that, you know, we need uh, to involve more people so that we, they can actually exercise their, their expertise here. I mean, this is a pandemic situation. We need all hands on that kind of situation. So uh, we brought in a long list of people who were from different departments, from different backgrounds, and each of them brought in wonderful perspectives and, and skill sets to the table. We had people like Rachel from sociology who also with DEI issues and other issues, we had other people who were skilled in qualitative data analysis, and, and some people were skilled in quantitative data analysis. Uh, we had people from uh, pharmacy, uh, med school, nursing, public health. You know, it, it was a, a wide range of uh, students coming from different backgrounds from all over campus. So that was kind of rewarding. Uh, the end product is definitely very, very rewarding seeing all of that work 
in the in the output and uh as we said that i mean we formed a team we had a team leader in place uh divya was our team leader for this and then we uh, collected the data and then while analyzing we split up into two groups one group looked into the quantitative section one group looked into the qualitative section and then we came back uh the both groups came back together and and, and wrote the final report so that was kind of a great experience and as I mentioned, hardworking people, wonderful people bringing in like all sorts of like voices all, all from across campus. Uh, Rachel did a, a great amount of work uh, in, in uh, you know, uh, producing this report. So again, great job, overall teamwork. It was really, really rewarding. Yeah, echo everything Radwan said, exactly. One of the challenges I'd say would be finding the, t- like getting it done, like having the time, because you know, as grad students, we have a million things that we need to be doing, but this was definitely a priority for us. But then just like getting everybody like meeting like all the time and just carrying on. So I think we started it in like the fall at some point, late fall. Um, and so just kind of getting it all like done, that was kind of a challenge, just making the time for it and prioritizing it and working on it. Um, we definitely did make it a priority, but you know, this is that's just one of the things as grad students we have to learn to do is balance all the things that we have going on. Um, so that was a bit of a of a challenge. Um, but the biggest reward is just like seeing the final product. That's always like my favorite reward is just seeing the final thing and it's all like pretty and shiny, and you're like, Yay, we did that. Like we made something. It's really cool to like create something and then like put it out into the world, and now it's just like there. Yes, I, I definitely resonate with the joy to see something finally pay off. So the last question we like to ask on FTFR is what is one thing you thought you knew but were later wrong about? And it doesn't have to be in relation to school or work. It can, it can be anything. I mean, I knew that, I mean, that the students were, some students were having financial troubles, but our survey showed that around 46% students were having financial troubles, which was kind of like more than I expected, I would say. I mean, I actually presented this result to a senior administrative, a senior person in that university administration. And they were like, yeah, we're going to, uh, we have this fund and we have this scholarship or you can apply for this and that. But, uh, you know, seeing 46% of students saying that they have, they're having financial problems. That's a big, big uh, thing. I mean, we need to look more closely into what's actually happening here. So that was kind of one of the one thing that I expected, but it was, the magnitude was just large, much, much more larger than I expected. I think I was naive in how it easy it, or easier difficult it is to make things happen or change at a university. And that is my privilege showing completely and thinking like, oh, you know, you just tell them this and you give them the data and you let them know, like, this is the best way to do things. They'll just change it, right? No, <laughs> even the, the data does like, Sometimes someone's like, yes, data informed stuff, but even giving people the data like sometimes isn't enough or just like the university not being as like, um, and just Iowa in general, not being as open to things about like equity and talking about race and racism. That's just like, I thought it would be like, I thought it would be a little um, more receptive to these things. I didn't think it was gonna be as challenging in this space, but this year definitely showed me there's so many more challenges that even I um, knew about and being a leader in that space. You can't just like things don't happen as quickly as one would like. It's a super slow and frustrating process to make things change for the better, but it's not that easy. Um, It takes a lot of more work 
and emotional energy um, than one thinks. But I think it's something we all kind of figure out as we go along. We have big dreams of changing the world. And then it's like, wait, okay, it's not going to happen that fast. Slow it down. It's very true. You feel like you can push things all together and it takes a bit to get there. But this is, I mean, incredibly informative, incredibly timely and relevant material. It's fascinating to check out. We'll put a link to it in our show notes. But I want to thank both you, Redwan, and, and Rachel for coming along today and, and highlighting this material and the great work you're doing for the University of Iowa. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Stu. Yeah, thank you so much. Enjoyed my time here. That's it for this episode of From the Front Row. Big thanks to Rachel and Redwan for coming on with us today. This episode was hosted and written by Alexis Clark and Steve Sanye. This episode was edited and produced by Steve Sanye. You can find more about the University of Iowa College of Public Health on Facebook. Our podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Our team can be reached at cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode was brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Keep on keeping on out there.